So this morning, uh, we're going to start a little series again. It seems like we're doing these mini-series throughout. Uh, we just finished talking about one another uh, and how you know we can invite people into our circles and, and what does that look like. And we're going to segue a little bit from that, kind of keeping that in mind, but this idea of I love my church and what is the church all about. And for those of you who've been around Portview for a while, you'll say, well, we've done this before. Yes, we've done it before, but we like to emphasize it and we like to look at it from different ways because I think, I don't know if you're like me, but I can use reminders from time to time. You know, why do we, why do we get together? Why do we come to church? Um, is it just because we have to pay penance or we have to do our duty? I think there's a whole lot more to it than, than that, right? We, we do this because, um, Jesus loves the church, right? Jesus loves the church. He said so himself. And this is a truth that is often overlooked. Um, sometimes it's all, all right forgotten in our culture today. But Jesus loves the church. He wants it to flourish. He wants it to grow. And he's the one who created it. He's the one who created the church, and it's the heartbeat. And he is our heartbeat uh, as the church. And in Matthew sixteen eighteen, after Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah... Jesus said this, he said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He cares for the church. He nourishes the church. He gives the church strength, right? And he desires the church to be strong and healthy. And so for us, his followers, hopefully we can take a similar approach, that we love the church, that it's not we, Saturday night we're like, ugh we got to go to church tomorrow. You know, no one wants to live life like that. Who wants to be grumpy about coming to church or going anywhere for that matter? No, you know, if we're following Christ and following his pattern and his model, hopefully we love the church as well. That it's something that we look forward to. It is something that we want to be strong and healthy. We want to contribute to Portview being a strong, healthy, vibrant church where we can encourage each other, where we can minister to each other and, and help each other along the way. And so that's why we're coming back to this theme, I love my church. So over the next three weeks, we're going to expand on this theme. We're going to look at it from a few different ways, and today we're going to look at who we are as a church. So the question that I would have is, Portview Church, who are we? People who care. Let's try that again. Who are we? There you go. Thank you. Everyone's awake and alive. If you need to stretch, do that. That's good. Yes. We are people who care. And we're going to revisit that here in just a few minutes. Next week, Pastor Mark is going to be sharing more about what we do. He's going to look at, you know, what does it mean for us to be people who care? And how does that function as, as a church? What are our purposes as a family of believers here at Portview? And why do we do them? And then in two weeks, he's going to share about how we do church. What are some of the things that drive us? What are our core values that drive us as a church, as our expression of we're people who care? Okay? So, hopefully that makes sense. And during the series and for beyond, uh, not just this series, but, you know, as we just continue to go through life, we've created a little tool to serve as a reminder. Okay? Some of you may have, yes, Portview Pete. Some of you like, no, that's bathroom guy. Yes, we know. They look similar. Um, but 
Some of you may have magnets like this at home. Here is the updated version. We've said this in times past, but now we needed to add a heart because that is the very core of what we do. Portview Pete, we're people who care. And so we've created these magnets for you to use as a reminder of who we are and what we do. So if you want the updated version, you can grab one on your way out today. It's at the Connection Center. You can have them side by side. You can put them on your bathrooms at home if you want to have designate it some way. You could do that too. Whatever would work. But uh, that's what we're going to do. Okay? So we're going to talk about this today. So in the middle of Portview Guy... Notice that he has a heart. And that's really the, the crux of, of someone's body, right? If I understand biology correctly, and if I understand how things work, each one of us in this room today has a heart, right? If someone doesn't, uh, please raise your hand because we'll need to get you some assistance probably immediately. Um, but our heart pumps blood throughout the body, and thus supplies the nutrients and the oxygen that all of our tissues uh, and our muscles and, and every part of our body needs. It continues to flow and it continues to push those things to us so that we can function and we can uh, hopefully be healthy and survive. It's that life-giving hub of the body. And even in a spiritual sense, the heart is the hub. Throughout scripture, they talk about the heart and what is in the heart. And it's really that idea of what's in your core, what's in the center of who you are, that, and what is going to drive you. Jesus said in Matthew 15, and he was talking about how this comes out in a negative way, but he says in Matthew 15 that the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And these are what make a man unclean. So he's talking that in our hearts, we can have all of these evil things. And that is going to just kind of spill out as we go through life. It's going to be what pours out of us as we go through. Well, hopefully we can see that the, the converse is true as well. That good things can come out of us. That when we have good in our heart and in our core, that's going to spill out as well, right? So those are the things that we want. And that's the starting point for us. That what is in the heart and comes from the heart defines who a person is. And if we're to evaluate who we are as individuals, and then as a church family, we need to understand what is in our heart. What's inside of us? What is our core? And you see, Jesus was always concerned with the inside, with a person's core first and foremost. Like, he didn't care what you did. He was focused on your heart. And that's why he was so hard on, like, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, because he's like, you guys don't get it. You, you were astute, and you, you do the right things. You follow the letter of the law, but you don't, you don't really get it. Your heart is not in the right place. Jesus saw that their hearts were focused on the wrong things, that they had missed the boat from a heart perspective. And they looked good in front of the public. You know, everyone looked up to them. They were the epitome of what it meant to be in tune with God. But they really weren't. And Jesus saw that and he said, guys, we need to get this right. And Jesus revealed God's heart 
He revealed what God's heart actually looks like while he was on earth. And he wanted them, and he wants each of us to have his heart. He wants us to have God's heart as we go through life. And so we have to ask ourselves, who are we to be on the inside? What should our heart be like? And so to answer this, I think we can look to a very basic, but a very foundational teaching from Jesus. In Matthew 22, he lays out a central idea that should be at the core of who we are. Okay? Matthew 22, 37 to 39 says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says that this is the foundation of who we should be, of who we are, that we should love God and we should love people. We should love God and love people. This should be our driving force as followers of Jesus. Everything we are, everything we do, should be focused and should flow from this foundation in our hearts. At, at Portview, we express this idea for our heart as a church family and as individual people a certain way. We referenced it before. We say that we are people who care. We use the word care because it takes this idea of love because we can read that and say, love the Lord your God. And what does that really mean? We, we, so we take it to that level that says care because it's that idea that I think brings it to a level where Jesus really sees it at. We care because, let's be honest, in our culture today, we think of love as like this warm, fuzzy feeling. This idea that it's, you know, this dreamlike quality. Oh, I'm so in love. Right? That's what our version of love has been reduced to. It's all about that feeling, you know, and... Whenever I think of that, I just have that idea, you know, it's that floating feeling, you know, I'm in love, you know, you see the people just floating on as they're just in this dreamlike state. And God is saying that's not where we are supposed to be. God is calling us to have it more that it's more than a feeling. It's this core quality, this core foundation inside of us that leads us to action. And based on this, we do want to be known as people who care. Not just as a church, but as individuals. We want to be someone who, when they talk about us, they recognize that quality. They recognize that we are someone who is compassionate, someone who cares, someone who uh, just will think of others, and that they're genuine about it. That it's not you know, some fake thing, you know, we're, we're, we want to feel like Jesus, we sometimes say, rather than fake like Jesus. Like, we're doing these things because they are just natural expressions of who we are. And as a church, you know, I think we do a, a relatively good job. You know, we are people who care. We come together when we need to. And we, we gather and we, we help each other and we're concerned about each other. And that's what it's all about. Because as a family of believers, we love God and we care about our ongoing relationship with him. Right? First and foremost, we love the Lord our God with everything that we have. We care about that relationship. And so we take time to focus on that. We take time to nourish ourselves and spend that time with the Lord so that we can 
grow closer to him and understand him and ourselves that much better. We recognize that our hearts and our lives have been changed and that they are continuing to be changed by Jesus. It's not just a one-time event, right? We didn't just say the sinner's prayer and, and then we can go back and do our own thing. Now, as we continue to walk with Christ, we grow and we develop and we mature and we become more and more like Christ each and every day. And we're being transformed from the way that we were to the men and women that God is calling us to be. The men and women that he already sees us as. And as we allow him to transform us, to transform our hearts and our core, we're becoming more and more like Jesus' heart. We're wanting to have his heart more and more in us each and every day. We feel like Jesus instead of just fake like Jesus. We have Jesus' heart and his perspective toward people. So this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 10, verse 30 with me. As I've been thinking about this idea of people who care, this story just continued to come back to me as a great example of being someone who cares and some of the principles that we can draw from this. And it's a famous story. Uh, Once you get there, you'll be like, ah, I know this story. But Luke chapter 10, verse 30, um, we get this example of being people who care. And so let's read the story of the Good Samaritan. And we're starting right at the point where Jesus is responding to a question and he launches into the story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So as we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, let's look at a few of the characters first of all. First, we have the man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's probably just an ordinary, common man. He's having to do business. He's just traveling. And that things happen. We have the robbers, typical bandits who seize upon some unsuspecting prey. They're like, This guy looks like we can get him. We have a priest. We have a Levite. We have a Samaritan. Sounds like the foundation of a really weird joke, right? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into, you know, the inn. You know, whatever. Um, But let's notice, you know, so those are our characters. Those are the ones that we have uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I want us to notice the hearts of these characters, What's in the heart that drives them? We have the traveling man. And although we don't have a lot of details, I imagine that, like I said, he's an ordinary man. 
He's hardworking. Maybe he's a father, husband. He's traveling to take care of business in order to provide for his family. Maybe it's just his immediate family. Maybe he's got uh, in-laws or his parents living with him. Who knows? He's making this trip probably just like he has many times before. This was a well-traveled road. And when life happens to him, it's unexpected. He has no way to defend himself. He's alone, and there's this band of robbers that has come against him. And so he gets beat down. He gets left for dead. No one's there to care for him. And I think that each one of us can probably think of parallel situations in our world today. We can think of people who get beat down, people who uh, just are struggling or, or barely making it, who perhaps would rather die than the situation that they're in. Then we have the robbers. The man is just traveling along and they see him and they think to themselves, I think this could be a good score for us. Let's see what we can do. They're going to seize the opportunity to help themselves because, let's face it, they don't care. They don't care about him. They're only in it for themselves. They're only in it for what they can do. So they beat him up. They take his stuff, his clothes, his wallet, his lunch, whatever it might be, and they left him half dead and destitute. He had nothing. He was stripped of his clothes, of everything. They got what they wanted, and then they went on their merry way. The traveling man served his purpose for them. They used him, and then they got out of there. Their heart had no care for anyone but themselves. We then read of the priest and the Levite. And I'm going to combine them together because they really have the same reaction. Right? They both have strong religious backgrounds. And they both have the same response. They both are astute in the law and in the scriptures. They know what should be done. But they go on their merry way as well. After the robbers have done their business... With the man, the priest and the Levite, at separate times, they come across the same scene, and they see it. I mean, it's not like it went unnoticed. The Bible says they saw, and then their response was, I'm going to go this way. They just continued to leave him, and they just said, we have other things that we need to do. Maybe they thought they were too important to stop and help this ordinary man. Maybe... They didn't want to get bloody and dirty. Because sometimes helping others, right, can be a little messy. Maybe they were running late to an appointment and couldn't be bothered to stop. Maybe they were generally caring people, but they had a moment of weakness and so they chose not to stop and help. We don't know what their motivations are, so we can only hypothesize about it and think, well, these are possibilities of why they didn't. In that moment, though, Their heart did not show that they were people who care. Can I be painfully honest for a moment? Sometimes I read those scriptures and it stings pretty bad. I look at myself and I think, "Uh, I'm becoming like the priest and the Levite sometimes. 20 years ago, I would have never dreamed that. I was always, I'm the good Samaritan. I will help. I will do whatever. But I know that sometimes I can fall into that trap. It's not a, a, a pretty picture. But I know that God is still working in me in those areas. That God is still transforming me. Because it wasn't just I said yes to the Lord and then 
you know, he let me be, he's still transforming me. So I will fully acknowledge that the Lord is working in me in this area to move away from being the priest and the Levite to being the good Samaritan. And there we go. Our last character is the Samaritan. And he, like the traveling man, the priest and the Levite, was traveling down the Jerusalem-Jericho road. He had business to attend to. We don't know what it is. We don't know where he ultimately was going, but he was on that same road. And just like the priest and the Levite, he saw the situation too. He saw, oh, there's a man lying on the ground. And he had the choice, what am I going to do about it? And he said, I'm going to go help. He responds differently than the priest and the Levite did. And I believe that his response reflects the heart and action of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. His response came from his core. It was that heart inside of him that said, I need to help. We don't know what his relationship was with the Lord, but I'm going to imagine that he was trying to love God and he was trying to love people as well. That he was taking those verses from Matthew 22 and saying, those are life verses for me. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. And so I want us to notice a few things about the Samaritan this morning that depict this. Because I think there's a couple of qualities that we can gather from here. First, he saw the man and he had compassion on him. Verse 33 says that when he saw the man, he took pity or he had compassion on him. He saw the man's condition and he felt bad for him. He said, that man needs help. I can do something. He had compassion because he was moved by what he saw. Like, think about it, how often we just we can walk through life and we can see people and you can just read it on their face that there's something up. And sometimes it moves us with compassion. Sometimes it doesn't. But the Lord is working on each of us. And he imagined himself... I'm, I'm picturing that the Samaritan is walking along and he imagines himself in this man's condition. What would I want someone to do if that were me? And I think that's this idea of compassion, that we put ourselves in the place of that person. Like, what would I want someone to do for me? And, you know, a lot of times I will see someone and I, I think later, because I'm a little slow in my response sometimes, but I think later, ah, if only I would have just stopped and said something. Who knows what it would have been, who knows where it would have led, but if only I would have stopped and said something, because I know that's what I would want someone to do for me. So again, I'm growing, I'm learning, I don't have it all together. And as we follow Jesus, and our hearts become more like his, we'll begin to have compassion toward those around us. We'll have our eyes opened to people around us who are hurting and in need. And it's a common example, but I think of, in this church, we have had many deaths lately of loved ones. And think about just that heart of compassion when you hear that so-and-so's mother or sister or cousin died and what it means to them when we can come alongside them and, and just be there for them. Last week, we had a funeral for Diana McGrew. 
and, and her family. And, and just when people came to, to serve, you know, to make sure that there was coffee and water and, and desserts ready for people who came because they were able to and, and just be a part of the visitation or the funeral, those types of things show a heart of compassion. And that's something that, you know, when we have Jesus' heart, that's what begins to pour out and, and become a part of us. The next thing that we see is that he went and cared for the man. Moving beyond the feeling or the thought that someone needed to help him, he actually got off his donkey and began to tend to the man's needs. He got down and he said, what can I do for you? How can I help? And I'm assuming that if the guy was half dead, he probably didn't respond. But he took action. Verse 34 describes how he went to him. He cleaned up the wounds and bandaged him up. He took care of him right there on the roadside, doing the best that he knew how. He may not have even been fully trained on, you know, uh, what, what can I do in this situation. He probably didn't go to the Stop the Bleed class, um, but he did what he could. He had oil and wine to clean up the wounds and to, to bring some, some relief uh, to the suffering that he had. He then put him on his own donkey and got him to a place where he could rest and recover from what had happened to him. And instead of leaving him on the cold, hard ground, he brought him to a place of comfort so that he could be relieved. He could relax and he could begin to heal. Lastly, after having compassion on the man and beginning to care for him, notice that the Samaritan recognized the cost. Verse 35 says, The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He recognized that the man was in desperate need. He had been left half dead, without clothes, money, or food. He needed help, and the Samaritan decided to cover the cost to make sure that the man would be well taken care of. He said, this is going to cost me something, but this is what I need to do. He deviated from his planned goal for that day by stopping to take care of the man. Who knows what kind of business he had to do, but he stopped and he took care. And the next morning he had to leave to then go resume his business, but he said, I want you to take care of him. I'm going to cover the cost, and when I come back, we'll true it up, whatever needs to take place. And he enlisted then the help of someone else. Because I don't think Jesus is calling us to go ahead and take care of everything. Sometimes we will do our part, and then we bring someone alongside of us and alongside of that person to help them. We can be people who care rather than I'm a person who cares. Does that make sense? That we can do this collectively. We can do this together. And at Portview, I do truly believe that we've begun to create this culture. We have this idea that we are people who care, and it is coming out more and more all the time. It's a beautiful thing. And here's the deal. Thursday morning was a very cold morning, if you remember. And I came to work just like any normal day, except it wasn't normal because as I walked through the connector, I hear the sound of rushing water. That's not a good sound when you walk into a building, right? No one wants to hear that. And I thought, ugh. And that feeling of overwhelm came on me like this is not what I had planned for today. 
Then I round the corner and I have our own mini Niagara Falls happening as the, the, the pipe had burst in, in the long hallway down here. Again, it's just that feeling of overwhelm. But here's what I have to say. This church proved that we are people who care. For those of you who were able to, who were not working, um, were not in school, there had to be 15, 20, 25 people who came throughout the morning to suck up water, to bring in shop vacs, to bring in heaters, uh, to, to start to dry stuff out. Because that was just kind of a natural outflow. We had this idea that we are people who care. We care about God's house and we're going to take care of it. And this is just one expression. There are so many different ways that we can show that we are people who care. And here's my encouragement, and I'll say it's also a challenge. We're already doing it, but let's keep doing it and even more. Right? Let's be people who care, who have that heart, of that's, that foundation within us, that very core that says we are people who care. Because Jesus calls us to be people who care in all situations. At the very end of this story, of this passage, Jesus says to the man who asked the question, and really to all of us as his disciples, go and do likewise. Be people who care. Go around your world. Affect it with great love and care for everyone that you come across. He wants us to have his heart for God and for people in general. He wants us to be people who care, who express love toward God and toward people in all that we do. So he points us to the heart of the Samaritan, who had compassion on the boy, on the man. He cared for him, and he recognized the cost. He said, yes, this is going to cost me some time. It's going to cost me some money, but I need to care for this man. This is what is just an outflow of who I am now. And Jesus wants to transform our hearts so that that is really the core foundation of our heart. That it is something that just grows and grows and grows. That although on the magnet it's perhaps just a little piece, but it's really a big heart in, inside of us that says, I want it to show that I love God by how I care for my relationship with him and for, for others around me. We will not be perfect at it, but Jesus desires to shape our hearts to be more and more like him every day. So my prayer for each one of us in this Portview family is that we would ask the Lord to continue to transform our hearts, that he would give us his heart for others, whether they be in our circle, whether they're in our Portview family, or whether they're somewhere else on the fringes, and that we would see each individual with Jesus' eyes and with his heart that we would be moved with compassion for an individual, that we would care for the individual, and that we would recognize that being people who care might cost us something. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, I want to have your heart for others. I want us as a Portview family to have your heart for others. So Lord, help us to have your heart for them. Help us to be moved with compassion for others. May we see them and their circumstances and be moved with compassion. Let us take the example of, of the Samaritan 
and really apply it to our lives. Help us to take care of them. Help us to be taking care of those who are around us. After being moved with compassion, we then are moved to action. Lord, let it not just be a thought or a feeling, but that it is something that we then do because it is an outflow of who you are creating us to be. Help us to recognize that it may cost us something and to recognize that the individual is worth it, that you love that person just like you love us. Thank you, Lord, for your unfailing love. Help us to truly be people who care. And maybe you're here today and and you've never experienced the love of Jesus. You've never met him as your Lord and Savior and and experienced the care that he has for you. He's inviting you today to start this journey with him where he can begin to transform you and give you a new heart, a heart like his. And today I have to just ask the question, if that is you and you are saying, yes, I want to embark on that journey. I want to start to walk with Jesus and and have his heart fully filling my heart. If that's you this morning, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not calling you out. But if that's you this morning and you'd like to start that journey with him, would you just slip up your hand so that I can see it? Just to say, that's me this morning. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you that we are a family of believers. We are a a people that you have called together to this place. Where we can express our love for you in in a, a setting where we can get together. And we can express it in a way where we show love and care for each other. So, Lord, we thank you that you have put together this family, this Portview family. We praise you. And as we remain in an attitude of prayer and openness to the Lord, I encourage you just to take your seat for a moment. We're going to take some time to celebrate God's heart for us through communion. We're doing it a little differently this morning um, because we've talked about Jesus' heart for us and for all people and that we're people who care. And now we want to spend a few minutes just reflecting on his heart for us. Through this time of communion, we can think about all that he has done for us, both on the cross 2,000 years ago and what he continues to do for us now. So this morning, we're going to take communion in a slightly different way. As an expression of being people who care, we want to take communion together in smaller groups and in, in, in clusters where we can uh, just have that time together. So we, we've talked about this and we thought that a great way to experience communion today would be to do this in smaller groups. So I encourage you in a few moments to get with your family, to get with your friends, to get with those that you might be in a connect group with or a small group or just even those around you. 
If, if you're not in a, a connect group or you don't have family members around you, get with some other people right here. We're going to take some time and we're just going to remember what Jesus has done for us. Giving thanks for his sacrifice, for his forgiveness, and his ongoing help in our lives. So in a moment, I'm going to share a brief scripture. And then I invite you to come to the front, take the bread, take the cup, and then get with some other people. And just worship the Lord together. Maybe pray for each other if there are needs in your group. And, and then just celebrate what God has done in our lives through Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Lord Jesus, we ask that you would bless this time as we partake of the bread and the cup, remembering all you have done for us and now caring for each other. So as you are ready, please come and take the the bread and the cup and take communion together.